was Kershaw tipping pitches. CJ, how does the hitter see that and take advantage? Well, first and foremost, Chris, if it did happen, it always happens when the pitcher is in the stretch. Rarely can you pick up pitches when a guy is thrown from the lineup, and that's what we saw in that seventh inning. Shit, are we live? <laughs> We're live. The first <laughs> bi-coastal episode of Tipping Pitches. Yeah, this is pretty cool. It's been a uh, it's been a struggle to get this set up. It's been more than a struggle. <laughs> it took it's us been... like ha- took us like half an hour to figure out how to use this thing. I'm like afraid to like press the nuclear button on like any of the, anything that's going on in this recording setup, but. I know. I'm like I'm like hunched over my microphone, like hands <laughs> like in the air, trying not to touch anything and not set anything up. I'm sitting on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so uh, how's Oakland, dude? Oakland's I haven't seen your face in like five days. It's like too long for us. Yeah, it's weird. Well, I thought we were going to um, do like a Skype video for this too. So this is even weirder. We're just like talking on the phone for an hour about baseball. We're like the anti-effectively uh, wild. Like they've they've only done one podcast together and we've this is our only podcast apart. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty good though. I think we're gonna make it work. We sound good. I certainly hope so. I, <laughs> I hope like an animal doesn't like run through and wreck my recording situation right now. <laughs> Yo, it's um it's hotter than hell in Oakland right now. Um, what especially does that even be- mean? like seventy four. No, it's like uh around eighty, a little bit higher. But we don't have it doesn't get that hot. We don't have air conditioning here, so I like turned the fan off in the room so that we wouldn't have like background noise. And now I'm just sitting here like soaking in my own sweat, <laughs> like hoping I can keep my train of thought. <laughs> Wait, you don't have air conditioning? That's wild. Yeah, not really. Like we don't need it. It's like seventy and like breezy here. We have the windows open. <laughs> oh man, that's nice. Yeah, it's really nice. It was a perfect night for baseball tonight. So so we're recording this on Sunday night, August 27th, and tonight was Bark at the Park night at the uh, the local Trenton Thunder, the Yankees AA affiliate, which is, as I tweeted out, so yeah, like I said last episode, this is actually what people, the four people that are listening to this actually do want to listen to me read out my tweets. But um, <laughs> I was essentially like... <laughs> That's my uh, this Venn diagram is a circle situation is bark at the park night at a ballpark. <laughs> you just read out a meme that you tweeted. <laughs> <laughs> this is next level shit, man. Yeah. But yeah, so so I picked up some double A ball, but you you went like one step further and you picked up an indie ball game. Yeah, we got that indie ball game, the San Rafael Pacifics versus the uh, Sonoma Stompers, famous, made famous by... Uh, one Ben Lindbergh and one Sam Miller in the book, The Only Rule is It Has to Work, which you have read. I still have yet to read. Um, but yeah, that was a really cool experience. Um, beautiful little ballpark. I mean, it was a beautiful night for baseball too. And yeah, that was that was fun. It was fun to get out there and see some not affiliated baseball. I got like lightweight hype when I saw you like <laughs> at an indie ball game, which is ridiculous because it's indie ball. <laughs> yeah, like why? But yeah, that, that must have been fun. So uh, so now that we're done bantering about minor league baseball, which, you know, people hardly even care about, like, more than five major league teams, and we're talking about <laughs> <laughs> yeah, probably like, four, I, three or four teams no one's ever even heard of. <laughs> I feel like we struggle to keep people's interest when we talk about the A's and the Mets. <laughs> like, who cares about their seasons in mid-August at this point? <laughs> you know what I was even more mad about? Like, this is going to get really inside baseball, no pun right. intended, but... The so the so the Trent Thunder, the Yankees double A affiliate, have um Dominic Acevedo on their team and he's out on the seven day DL, which means I guess he got a concussion, which is like a very specific injury for him to get for me not to be able to see him. <laughs> 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 and also he uh Newsday at Newsday we had this story about how Jorge Mateo, who was a I believe a shortstop for them earlier in the season was just like tearing it up he was sitting like 480 for like a month yeah like jose altuve shit and of course he was involved in one of those deadline trades so i didn't even yeah, get to and, see him either and now he's our shortstop of the future is he on the a's was he in the sunny yeah. Grand trade? yeah yeah now he's playing for our double a affiliate the rockhounds oh damn well yeah. shout out to him um all right let's uh let's move on to some weird things that happened so so this first thing is something that happened like it feels like forever ago now because news cycles just move like 
10 a day. Yeah, well, we were uh, bummed because it happened, like, the day, <laughs> literally the same day that we recorded our last podcast. Like, that yeah. afternoon, this news came out. I was like, yo, let's uh, let's record, like, a quick little, like, 10-minute sidebar, and we just never got around to doing it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, the well, the, what you're referring to is the umpire protest, the um, which is sweeping the nation right now, obviously. I mean, it's all over Twitter. It's all over the national news. I mean, this is, this is a big one, you guys. I'm rolling my eyes literally so hard. <laughs> so if you aren't familiar with this, then you are not Twitter, but... The umpires wore white wristbands, which is like, come on, optics, guys, to protest their, what they called, like, verbal abuse. So they called it a silent protest, but they also announced what it was. Like, I was reading an AP Wire story about it, like, the day that it happened. So I don't really know how silent that protest is. (laughs) But it eventually led to a meeting with Commissioner Manfred, like, 36 hours later. So, like, that just goes to show, like, white people protesting get what they want. But Yeah, so true. Do you have, like, any quick 30-second thoughts on this? It stemmed from an incident involving Ian Kinsler, the second baseman for the uh, Tigers, and Angel Hernandez. still playing? Yeah, right? I I don't even know. But um, he was ejected for arguing balls and strikes as... Uh, you know, that's what happens. You argue balls and strikes, you get ejected. Um, but that wasn't the issue. He he got into an, a heated argument with Angel Hernandez. Um, but after the game, he came out and literally said, he's changing the game. He, he's speaking of Hernandez. He's changing the game. He needs to find another job. He really does. I'm not mad at him. He just needs to go away. When it becomes blatant <laughs> like this, there is a problem. All right. Frankly, I'm on Hernandez's side. That's a dick thing to say. <laughs> like i know we all have our issues uh with major league umpires i know the fans do i'm sure that players and coaches do as well but i i don't know that feels like something that you don't come out and spew about to the media like maybe you should have put together a better at bat maybe don't get rung up on balls and strikes next time like maybe retire yeah, it's <laughs> so true. Like, I'm sorry that the Tigers are in the midst of like a very middling season, but this is not the time to be kicking up a ruckus. Do I think it was an overreaction on the umpire's part? Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so okay, here's my thing about this though: is that like you signed up for this, right? Like, like that's like going out there and getting mad that like a late game reliever is throwing 99 to you. Like, that's just this this part of the game. If you're an umpire. You have to know that no one's ever going to like you. Like, you're making triple digits to just subjectively decide whether someone's out or safe or it's a ball or a strike. Like, you you can get over it, dude. Your life is not that hard. You're not being abused. Yo, yeah. Sorry you're not a referee for soccer in or football in Latin America who literally receive death threats and are like, attacked on the field if they make a call that doesn't go the right way like chill sorry that uh, a player sometimes get up gets upset with you for a call he didn't agree with i get like setting a line drawing a line in the sand with like players so that they're not just like turning around and cursing you out and like saying terrible things about your mother and your wife or whatever after every bad call that you make but at the same time it's like Come on. Like this baseball is one of the easiest games to officiate in my opinion. Like think about think about how much faster moving basketball is. Like the the charge block call in basketball or like the last 10 seconds of the NBA Finals game 7. Like what if you mess up a call there? Or or think about like like you brought up like a football official like in South America or like a line judge who calls the wrong offsides call and uh takes away like the game winning goal for whatever team and they literally mob and kill you on the field like <laughs> it's not that serious <laughs> yeah it really isn't also the way they phrase it like to protest quote unquote escalating verbal attacks like come on dude like sometimes a player gets upset with you like it, it was never that big a deal to begin with and it's like a running joke among fans that umpires are not very good but none of us like dislike you as a person like i wouldn't wish ill upon you or your family i wish you'd give us a call uh once in a while but <laughs> <laughs> i don't know it's this feels like a bit of a, a bit of an overreaction you're not the the new colin kaepernick here they're mad about escalating verbal assaults like or whatever they call it or whatever you just read out like they don't do anything to de-escalate it 
Like, they are much more often the ones escalating the situation. Like, you know what you did by tossing someone for getting kind of mad? You escalated the situation. You toss you toss Adrian Beltre for moving the on-deck circle. You escalated <laughs> that situation. Like, yeah, that one's That on was you. a funny one, but, like, there are other ones that get worse. And that brings us into um, another topic that we were going to banter about real quick before we get into our semi-researched segment. <laughs> um, that, that Yankees brawl the other day. Like, the umpires did nothing right during that like they escalated that situation by not handing out warnings before it got too late yeah i think it was who was the pitcher who initially got tossed for that uh was it conley tommy 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 canley um we just said it three different ways yeah of course was it conley yeah (laughs) okay canley (laughs) (laughs) he was ejected without any warning whatsoever totally unwarranted i think in any person's opinion that feels like an umpire who's trying to make a show out of it and make an example out of this player i mean whether or not you decided that that was a purposeful uh hit by pitch that's so out of bounds i mean that's the type of thing where you're trying to shift the spotlight to you and make it the sort of thing where you are directing i mean umpires are not there to direct how the game goes as far as like I mean, I guess they are technically, Um, but you shouldn't be making calls that significantly alter any sort of outcome over the game that, you know, wouldn't otherwise be there. I think like the game should be on cruise control and the umpire should only need to like steer here and there. Yeah, it's a better way of finding it. (laughs) That's not like, that's not what they did in that situation. And generally I try to never sign or generally I try to never side with Joe Girardi, but in this instance, like... (laughs) You have to come out and defend your pitcher if he gets ejected after you don't even get a warning. Like, that's what I was so mad about in uh, 2016 um, when Syndergaard threw behind Chase Utley um, because he didn't even get a warning. And you're going to eject the starting pitcher in, like, the second inning without even warning him? No harm, no foul by Canely hitting one dude. Like, that's just baseball. <laughs> yeah. unless It's, it's another of- instance of the umpires not understanding that that's just baseball. Like, you're yeah. going to get yelled at. People are going to hit each other. Like, deal with it. You signed yeah. up for this. Unless it's the type of thing where they come in and the two teams have bad blood, like, the day before they had a big brawl or something like that, or everyone is on edge because someone knows that someone's going to get plunked, and you warn the two teams ahead of time, you know, before the game, and be like, look, I don't want any bad shit going down here then sure, fine. But this was, as far as I know, the Yankees' uh, the Yankees Tigers rivalry is not one of the hottest ones in baseball. <laughs> like, <laughs> like on any other day, I would not even notice a hit-by-pitch. Players get hit by a pitch all the time. So yeah. I, I guess it's a judgment call on the part of the umpire whether or not it was intentional. But frankly, unless it's clear, I don't think you're supposed to be making that call. Yeah, so... Uh, just a quick rundown of the results of that. Miggy got seven games because he went all Floyd Mayweather on Austin Romine. Yeah. Uh, Sanchez Elgari got four games because he came in, dude, like a bat out of hell, and just he started was, throwing. He was going ham. He was just going in there, man. Yeah, and then uh, Romine got two games, which I don't know if I understand that he. Got shoved and then punched by Cabrera. What was he supposed to do? Just yeah, run the other direction. I never yeah. really understand that. I still, I still want to know like what the conversation was that sparked that. Like, like you know, you're jawing at each other, and Miggy's like, "Hey, why'd your pitcher just throw at me?" And Roman was probably like, "I don't know. That one got away." And Miggy was like, "That's unacceptable," and shoves him. Like, <laughs> no, no, no. Roman was probably like, "Yo, dude, you're hitting 220." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, Roman was probably like, yo, remember when you won the Triple Crown? Damn, we've come a long way. <laughs> uh, Alex Wilson got four games. He was the uh, Tigers pitcher who came out afterwards and said, yeah, I hit him on purpose. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was going to happen. I mean, also, he he didn't even need to say that to, to show. Like, after there were there had already been two brawls, and Alex Wilson's like, mm, no, we're going to have the last <laughs> laugh and just hits him. It was like, it was so blatant. Like, if anyone gets the clear suspension, it's him. And then uh, the Tigers manager, Brad Osmus, got one game, which is like, he could probably use a day off. So. <laughs> in the middle of August, he's like, "That's ch- I'm going to chill in my hotel. There's air conditioning in there. <laughs> all right. I would be remiss if we didn't even mention Rich Hill at all. So I know you were watching that game. I was out somewhere, so I was just following along on my phone. Can you take me through the emotions of that real quick before we move on? 
Well, the thing is, when watching a no hitter or a perfect game, if it's through like the sixth inning, you're kind of like, all right, we got three innings left. There's plenty of baseball left to play. You, you try not to get too excited about it. By the seventh inning, if he's got one through seven innings, that's the point where you're like so on edge. Like, I don't care who the pitcher is, whether he's on the Dodgers or he's on the Red Sox or he's on the friggin' Giants, you know? Um, so. Nah, dude. Fuck that. <laughs> He's on the Royals. Break that shit up. <laughs> Bunt single. Yeah, so true. Um, not, not to mention Rich Hill's story. I mean, how far he's come, and he's, what, like 35 now? Um, how he had a whole – turned his career around like two years ago. I can't really say he's a part of A's history or anything like that, but he spent a half a season with us. Um, <laughs> He certainly got us a good return, so I'll thank him for that. Um, but, oh, my God, it was so heartbreaking. I mean, first of all, Logan Forsythe um, booted the ball, the ground ball to him in the ninth inning, which broke up the perfect game, which hard play off the bat. Uh, you don't blame him for that. you got to feel bad for him because you know that he's, he's almost sitting there being like, dude, I hope you don't throw a no-hitter because then I'm going to be the guy who lost you the perfect game. Yeah. Um, and then Harrison hitting the walk-off in the 10th inning. Oh, my God. My heart just broke into a million pieces right there. Especially since Rich Hill is not making it past the 7th inning for the rest of the season or maybe his career. Yeah, seriously. It's like earlier this year he can't get out of the 6th inning and, like, throws 100 pitches. He, he threw a Maddox in 10 innings and still couldn't get the no-hitter or anything like that. Yeah, that's rough. Oh, man. I'm thinking, thinking of you, Rich Hill. I, I got you in my heart the rest of the season. <laughs> uh, it's so funny because he looks like he's hungover literally 100% of the time. <laughs> yeah. like <laughs> I think that's just like his body and his face. Yeah. Like I don't actually, you know, I don't know anything about Rich Hill and his drinking habits, but <laughs> he just looks like... <laughs> He just looks like he just took, like, a bottle to the face. This, <laughs> this podcast, like, borders on slander, like, in most of its episodes. <laughs> like, we just make shit up about people. <laughs> Alabama, Arkansas, I do love my mom, Paul. Not the way that I do love you. Well, holy moly, me oh my, you're the apple of my eye. Girl, I never loved one like you. So let's move on transitioning. So this was, so this next segment that required a little bit of research, you know, more research than we generally do for most of our segments, but it was your idea. So I'll let you explain what uh, spawned the idea in your brain. Yeah. Well, about, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, I was searching through um, A's player statistics because what else are you going to do in the middle of August except try and find like one thing that makes you feel good about a mostly lost season? Um, and so I was looking through like Ryan Healy's player statistics um, and I noticed that he was hitting like 270 with like 20, 22 home runs and had posted like zero war on the season. And I was like, that's impressive. That's kind of impressive. You got to be pretty bad. I know his defense is like <laughs> not good, very below average. So, but that kind of sparked something in my head. I was like, I wonder what is like the best surface level season where like those surface level numbers look good. But when you like dig into it, the player is still having a really bad season. And so this spawned this idea that, that we'll get into about what are some of the, the weirdest seasons that players have ever had, right? Like strange statistical anomalies that we've never really seen before, or if we've seen it, like this is just the absolute weirdest of its kind. Um, so you and I um, each spent some time <laughs> doing a lot of uh, really deep digging on baseball reference, <laughs> probably too much time, uh, getting too familiar with the play index, uh, just to try and find three seasons each of what are strange outliers in baseball history that, I don't know, you look at you look at the numbers and you just scratch your head and you can't figure them out. So, I don't know, do you want to do you want to start it off and talk about the the first season that you came up with? Yeah, so I'm not going to guarantee that there is not a weirder season because baseball is a game that has been played for a very 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 long time. <laughs> really that long? Yeah, so <laughs> funny enough, I was like the first thing I did, I was like I'm going to look at who made the most errors in a season. So I I like went to the baseball reference leaderboards and there are only like 
they're only like two seasons after 1933 and then i was like oh yeah well they just like didn't use gloves before then <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was like dating back all the way to like 1860 like some dude made like like 160 errors in a season and I was like, Good <laughs> god yeah, and then they were like maybe we maybe we should try not using our bare hands to feel these scorching <laughs> line drives that are hit at us so my first season is the home run king himself barry bonds 2004 season so i wrestled with myself a little bit between which barry bond season to choose but i knew i wanted to pick a barry bond season because his stat lines are ones that you will never see for a different player unless Giancarlo just like continues to do what he's doing right now so i ended up choosing 2004 and that was the year that he set the walks record with 232 which is just like just process that number for a second 232 (laughs) walks that's like more hits than Jose Altuve had last season. He was 39 <laughs> in this season. <laughs> he had 617 plate appearances, and only 373 of them were official at-bats. <laughs> yeah, that's insane. It's still one of those things that you can look at those numbers every time, and everyone knows that Barry Bonds is, you know, steroids or not, one of the greatest hitters of all time. And then you go and look at his baseball reference page, and you're like, holy shit, he's still somehow even better than you imagined he was. I want you to guess what his OPS was. Do you know this already? Uh, no, I don't think so. I want you to guess. Uh, 1,400. Hey, 1422. All right, yeah. (laughs) That's ridiculous. His OBP was 609. Jesus Christ. That's literally like, if he he doesn't get on base, you're like, what? Is the natural order like upset forever? Like, is am I ever going to, what's happening? (laughs) Um, So like, I remember last year or it was either last year or during Bryce Harper's crazy 2015 year where like through the first three months of the season, Bryce had hit more home runs than he had strikeouts. Barry Bonds in 2004 hit 45 home runs and only struck out 41 times. That's ridiculous. (laughs) He essentially struck out once every four games. (laughs) Oh my God. (laughs) And, and homered the same amount. I mean, come on. Exactly. So, uh, yeah, I just wanted to nominate one Barry Bonds season and scrolling through baseball reference on the Barry Bonds page. That was the one that popped out the most to me, even though obviously the 73 home run season is just ridiculous on so many different levels. I just felt like I had to talk about the walks and the OBP and the OPS over 1400. Yeah, that's insane. It really is one of those numbers you hear it every time and you still can't really, you can't even wrap your head around it because the best hitters of this generation, like you look at Mike Trout and you're like, holy shit, we're never going to see another player like him. And his OPS is still like 1100. Like Barry Bonds was somehow way better. Yeah, it's obscene. All right. So give me your first person. Um, Well, actually it makes for a nice segue because as everyone knows, um, Barry Bonds certainly got intentionally walked his fair share of times. But I was kind of curious on the intentional walk game on the other side of the ball. And so I just was mostly just scrolling through the leaderboards, looking at pitchers who had intentionally walked the most batters in one season. And the number that I came across was just really strange and out there. So in 1974, um, Gene Garber, who at the time was playing for the Kansas City Royals, um, this was, I think, like his third season, but this was his first or his like second full season. He intentionally walked 24 batters as a reliever, and that's in 76 innings. He intentionally walked 24 people in 76 innings. He had 44 walks on the year. So his walks per nine that year, 5.2. His intentional walks per nine, 2.84. He was literally (laughs) intentionally walking a guy every third inning. That's so bizarre to me. I mean, intentional walks really kind of um, were on the rise, like in the 60s and 70s. They peaked in like the late 60s. People were doing that um, all the time. But the majority of the uh, leaders atop that list are starting pitchers, obviously, just by sheer volume. You know, you might intentionally walk 23 guys in 170, 180 innings. But he was, his first game of that season, he came out and intentionally walked three guys. What 
what is the strategic thinking behind that sort of thing? Like, is it a managerial situation where you really just think you're gaining that much of an advantage? Do you not trust him that much? I think like, I mean, I obviously don't know the like lefty righty splits of his intentionally of his intentional walks, but I mean, back then the bullpens were not as big. So in theory, like maybe he was intentionally walking people to get to another righty or something. I don't know if he was right-handed or left-handed, but you know, maybe they just didn't have like an extra loogie or like. He was like a right-handed middle reliever who usually pitched like, you know, one or two innings. So sometimes went a little longer, but I feel like he probably was not the only righty they had in their bullpen where they were like, no, we're going to bring you in, but you literally just can't face this lefty hitter. (laughs) He had one game that year, which happened to fall on my birthday, um, where he came in and faced two batters. He intentionally walked the first guy and then gave up a walk-off to Joe Torre the next. So came in, literally they brought him in to intentionally walk the guy. Maybe that was just to, <laughs> to pad down the other reliever's stats. Like, uh, <laughs> I'm so confused by this. All right, get in here, Gene. <laughs> you don't got nobody who can do it like you. <laughs> They're like, there's that. no one who can throw four wide ones like Gene Garber. So props <laughs> to you, man. 1974, setting those records nicely. All right, let's move on. So my next guy, I'm glad you chose a pitcher because I didn't, I didn't even really look for pitchers. I mostly was <laughs> looking for position players. So yeah, my next guy, Jose Guillen, 1997 season. It was his rookie year with the Pirates. Um, so, you know, on the surface, nothing really uh, crazy about the guy. I mean, he hit 267. His WRC plus was only 82, which is, you know, it's not what you're looking for, but it's not unthinkable for a rookie who, you know, maybe you're thinking his bat hasn't come around yet, but his glove is there, right? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) He was a negative 3.1 war player because his defense, um, according to the Fangraph's defensive statistic, um, I I forget what, like, the longer name for it for is, but essentially they take, like, UZR um, and they, like, rate it by position so that it's equal across all positions. So for context... Jose Reyes at shortstop this year by this same statistic. We can all agree Jose Reyes has been an atrocity at shortstop this year. But by that fan graph statistic, he is 0.9 DEF is the statistic. So that's not great, (laughs) but it's not, you know, catastrophic, I guess. I mean, I was sick of watching him just let ground balls go like two feet to his left. But, you know, teach their own, Terry. Jose Guillen, 1997, he played like 140 games. So. They didn't bench him. His defensive statistic by Fangraphs was negative 34.7. Oh, my God. For a whole season. Jesus. Yeah. So that's defensive runs above. He was 34. 34 was the stat? Yeah. 34 defensive runs below average. That's What? So that made him a negative 3.1 more player. But, you know, he hit 267, right? So you're thinking... Maybe his bat was all right. Maybe they projected that it might get better over his career. So he had 526 plate appearances. Guess how many walks he had? Just guess. Throw out a ballpark number. Um, 21. 17 walks for the whole season. Jesus. <laughs> the same number of double plays that he grounded into for the year. <laughs> Never want to walk as many times as you ground into a double play, Jose. Not a good look, dude. No, that's not good. Yeah, that's like on the low end of walks in a season. I was I was looking through that because I thought maybe I'd use like a season like that. But a, a walk rate on a season where you're walking like 1.8% of the time, mm, not great. That's below he was average. Walking, yeah, so he was walking 3.2% of the time. Jesus. That's, uh, that's pretty bad. Aaron Judge is walking like in the 20s. Yeah, like league average is around 10 or 12. Now it is. All right, so Jose Guillen, not the best year. Also no. a weird year. So who do you have for your second guy? Um, my second guy is slightly less interesting. Um, but oh, wait, set us up. I'm really hyped now. I'm just at the edge of my seat. I know, seriously. Well, it's not some uh, bizarre statistical anomaly necessarily, um, but that's Greg Gross in 1974. Uh, the guy finished second in Rookie of the Year voting that year. So he had a decent year. He hit 314. He didn't hit any home runs. 
Um, in fact, he Not only even hit, one. <laughs> no, nah, he hit seven in his career. This oh, is like boy. this is like Elvis Andrus before Elvis Andrus existed. Except Elvis Andrus has sixteen home runs this year, so that doesn't even count. Um, this year doesn't count. Yeah, that's so true. The ball, the ball is juiced. <laughs> Brett Gardner has like twenty one home runs. Um, Brett Gardner, future police chief of Nassau County on Long Island, has oh twenty one home runs. <laughs> But uh, but Greg Gross in 1974 for the Houston Astros, again, really not a strange year, except for the fact that he was caught stealing 20 times and only stole 12 bases. So my guy literally stole bases at like a 38% success rate. It feels like <laughs> it feels like if you steal one and get caught stealing twice, I'm probably not stealing again that season. I'm like throwing in the towel at that point. Like if you're that's so bad. That's you're actively taking away from your team at that point. I feel like maybe he was missing some signs. Like <laughs> maybe he was. Like in theory, in theory, you, you think he's maybe a fast guy. I mean, 32 attempts on a season is pretty reasonable for any guy who can steal a decent amount of bases. And he was okay in the minors. I'm really not sure what's going on here because in his career, in the minors as well, he'd only ever attempted 16 in a year before. So he'd never done anything like this. He was like, fine. In his first year in baseball at Rookie League, which does that even count? He stole 12 bases and was caught stealing four times. And he was in the majors four years later and tried to steal 32 times, like out of nowhere, was caught stealing more than half of them and never attempted more than eight in the rest of his career, like in a season. Wow. That's really yeah. something. I wonder why. We, we need to figure that out. Let's find some context for that. Yeah, we should find some context. Let's call him up. He's, uh, right. he's 65 years old, living in York, Pennsylvania. So let's drive over from your house. Damn, I'm so down. <laughs> <laughs> Um, all right. Yeah. Your last guy. Yeah. So I am going to wrap it up with my last, but definitely my favorite of the, the guys that I have on this list. So I've always had a special place in my heart for the man that is Mark Reynolds. <laughs> of course. So Mark Reynolds' 2009 season with the Arizona Diamondbacks was definitely one to, uh, to be remembered. Weirdly enough, he finished 20th in MVP voting, which baseball reference is just always doing too much. Like, no one needs to know the top 20 finishers for <laughs> NL MVP for 2009, but apparently, but me um, and anyone who is now listening is forced to know this. But so Mark Reynolds hit 44 home runs, which is like, that's nothing to be trifled with. Like 44 home runs is a lot of home runs, mm-hmm. uh, but he only hit 260 for the year. Do you want to know why? Uh, why? He struck out 223 times. Good God. (laughs) (laughs) The same number of walks that Barry Bonds had in 2004. (laughs) Exactly. So uh, Reynolds for his career. So I did a little more deep digging on fan graphs about Reynolds because I wanted to know, like, if you're striking out that many times in one season, you have to basically be striking out, like, I don't know, every other plate appearance. So I looked it up. Mark Reynolds is 35th all-time in strikeout percentage for qualified players, and that includes, like, pitchers and everything. The guy who was first, first of all, <laughs> struck out 50% of the time, but was still worth, like, 12 war for his career. I don't, I didn't really understand what? that. I need to look deeper <laughs> into that. <laughs> That's weird. So, yeah, he struck out, he's 35th all-time in strikeout percentage at 30.9%, which is insane. He struck out one every three times for his career. Christ. And he's one of only seven players in the top 50 of that statistic, so of strikeout percentage for their careers. He's one of only seven players in the top 50 worth more than 10 war. So Mark Reynolds is like a walking conundrum. Like, he's been worth more than 10 war in his career, which is like, you know, generally nothing, right? Like, 10 war is not that much. Mike Trout just shits out 10 war seasons. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) But, you know, it means you were like, an MLB player for a decent amount of time. Like they didn't kick you out of the league immediately or sent you to Korea or anything. (laughs) Mark Reynolds. Don't know how you did it, but never change, man. Keep striking out as much as you possibly can. And you know what? If I recall, he like did change. I mean, he turned his career around is now a legitimate first baseman for the Rockies. I mean, call it the cores effect if you want, but the guy's hitting like 280 with 30 home runs on the year. Uh, 2017 Rockies, yeah, 277 and uh, 
Yeah, 27 home runs. He's God. been worth .9 war. His defense is only negative 10.1 defensive runs saved. <laughs> <laughs> In this season that I was talking about, though, he was worth negative 11.9. And uh, two years later, 2011 with the Orioles, he was worth negative 29.6. So Ooh. I'm thinking third base was... They finally figured out to stop playing him at third base. <laughs> <laughs> he was uh, worth... In 2013, uh, he was worth 7.1 defensive runs saved. So he really turned it around. That was his only positive year. That and and once in 2010 for 2.4 runs. So I don't know what it was in 2013. He just figured it out. <laughs> I, I really guess so. I mean... I don't even have analysis for that. I'm just like, yeah, I guess he got better? Question the mark. ball just was never hit to him for the entire <laughs> season. <laughs> it was just weak dribblers down the first baseline. <laughs> uh, Mark Reynolds, man. What a guy. I can't even believe he's still what playing baseball, honestly. Yeah, so that year, so the 2009 year that, um, that I listed as one of my rarest seasons, he was worth 3.3 war while striking out 223 times. <laughs> Jesus. That's really something. That is impressive. Shouts to him. Yeah, shouts out to him, man. Uh, I remember like way back when, like right around this season, one of my friends uh, from high school, like one of my buddies that we used to just sit around and shoot the shit about baseball with. He was just he tried to convince me that Mark Reynolds had already struck out four hundred times in that season. God. <laughs> He's like, dude, I swear to you, Mark Reynolds has already struck out four hundred times this year, and I'm like. There are only 162 games. Like that's basically striking out every play. <laughs> the season, <laughs> the season wasn't even over yet. There was only like we were like 130 games in. He's like, dude, he's got 400 strikeouts. I was like, is he batting 10 times per game? <laughs> you know, honestly, if anyone could find out a way to do it, I think it'd be Mark Reynolds. He'd still be worth positive four somehow. Yeah, somehow he'd still hit like 40 home runs. So you know what? <laughs> he's making it work for him. He carved out that corner in the MLB, and he is just grooving there. Yeah, shouts to him. All right, let's finish up. Who's your last guy? My last guy, speaking of Coors and Mark Reynolds and the Rockies, uh, rewind 10 years earlier to a season, the season that kind of got this exercise going for me back when I was searching. I love this. I love this season. (laughs) (laughs) Again, so what I did was I went to Baseball Reference, and I was really curious. I was like, who are players who have hit at least 250 in a season and hit at least 30 home runs and still managed to post a negative war. Um, because I figured that's like a decent baseline. If you hit 250 with 30 home runs, you can could be considered that you had a pretty good season. You know, defense aside, stolen bases, strikeouts, whatever, that's generally speaking a pretty valuable player. Uh, you know, hitting the five spot, whatever. And I figured that I would come across a few players there. And as a matter of fact, I came across six players who have hit at least 250, at least 30 home runs, and posted negative war. And most of them are like a couple ticks below zero. We have, uh, we've got Matt Kemp on here, Adam Dunn, Yasmani Tomas, Joe Carter, and Leon Wagner. And Leon Wagner... It's my namesake, baby. Exactly. <laughs> who, uh, out of those group, posted the lowest, posted negative 0.6. To give you a little bit of context, Represent. you have to understand... You have to understand that war like there's a there's a base for that there's a floor for war at like around four which is i think the worst season ever was like negative four wins above replacement or four wins below replacement yeah dante bichette in 1999 managed by baseball reference standards negative 2.3 war the the guy hit 298 with 34 home runs, 38 doubles, 133 RBIs. His OPS for the year was almost 900. So by all standards, you could call that a quite a productive season. If not for the fact that, and I'm going to bring in that stat that you used um, before, defensive <laughs> runs saved or defensive runs above average. Uh, our guy was 40 defensive runs below average. 40. <laughs> what? <laughs> that's <laughs> that's insane. That puts him, it basically ended up in him having one of the, arguably in all of the seasons across baseball history, in the bottom 50 by war, simply because of his abysmal defense. He's literally, by war standards, it's the 51st wor- worst season in history. That's impressive. 
That's so impressive. He's the kind of player that, like, defensively, he forces pitchers to, like, make trade requests. <laughs> yeah, seriously. He, I mean, the Rockies' defense that season was generally pretty bad, um, and they posted, like, career worsts for like all their numbers in part because Dante Bichette was playing left field for them and literally had like a 950 fielding percentage which is oh god that's awful that's like send him back to the minors so that he can figure something out in levels (laughs) that was like me in my MLB the show create a player like center fielder before I realized that there was like a button that could let you look at the ball and where it was going to land. Like, I was just trying to guess in the air off the bat. <laughs> I would miss, like, I'd be, like, 10 feet from, like, every fly ball. <laughs> and every time I'd just be like, damn it, this is so hard. <laughs> that was he Dante had... Bichette in the MOB for a whole year. Yeah, literally. He had almost a 380 weighted on base average, which is weighted to, like, you know, normal batting average. So 380 is pretty incredible i mean that's a pretty good year all things considered but um except for the fact that he just could not field a single ball in left field mad respect uh one other thing before we move on from this um i I do want to give the honorable mention despite the fact that we mentioned him in last week's episode um we have we can't move on from this without mentioning our boy joey gallo who is in the midst of posting a season that no one has ever come close to having. I mean, he literally has almost twice as many home runs as he does singles. Home <laughs> runs literally comprise half his hits right now. No one, literally no one else in history has had that spread of things. Yeah, that was kind of like, that was the first thing that came to mind, but I knew we had talked about that last week. So I didn't want to like beat the same drum, but like it's, I think the stat last week that blew me away was like he, he was at 35 home runs and only 36 other kinds of hits combined singles doubles triples (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's genuinely so impressive he has 20 singles in this season of all players who have fewer than 30 singles in a season um no one else even has if i'm doing this math correctly no one else has more home runs than they have singles like at all ryan howard is the closest with 25 home runs and 30 singles jesus come on that makes sense to me that was actually last year when he hit 196. Oof. Oh, God. <laughs> That's, those are uh, like Joey Gallo's career numbers right there. Uh, I just want to point out before we move off Dante Bichette. Is that how you say his last name? Bichette? Bichetti? Uh, Bichette? Bichette? I, I, like the, I like Bichette. Let's just pronounce his name wrong. Italian <laughs> Anyway, I'd just like to point out that, like, as soon as you started talking about him and you brought up his name, my dog was laying next to me on the couch and she just, like, burst up, sat straight up like she was coming out of an exorcism. So, I don't know. Dante Bichette's ghost, Bichette, whatever, is (laughs) somewhere floating around this podcast right now. (laughs) She heard negative 40 runs uh, (laughs) above average and was like, oh, my God. (laughs) Uh, so when we come back, we're gonna have a new segment for you, one that we like conceived for <laughs> a new segment, Bobby. <laughs> one that we conceived like before we even had a name for the podcast, but we've just been we haven't had the balls or the preparation to do it yet. So <laughs> we like came up with the segment, and then we were like, hey, maybe we should make a podcast. <laughs> California, here we come, right back where we started from. California. All right, so moving on, uh, we are going to do a segment we're calling Taking All The Way. So essentially what it is, is each of us has written down three takes that we don't actually believe, um, but you know, in general hot take culture, you just gotta say what you feel, right? (laughs) (laughs) We're Ioannis Cespedes on a zero-zero count with a fastball that he could hit out like 70% of the time. Yeah, and I mean, he's probably going to swing and miss, but that's, that doesn't mean he's not going to go for it. Came in to face Cespedes last night and gave up an RBI double to him, and Cespedes taking all the way on the first pitch. It's a strike. All right, so uh, each of us has written down three takes, and we're just going to go back and forth um, and see how hot they get. Why don't you start us off? Yeah, so, uh, so hot take right out the gate. Colorado Rockies, 
make the World Series this year. <laughs> what? <laughs> this is way hotter than any of my takes. Maybe not. My first take is pretty hot too, but continue. Why? Why? Justify that. 10 seconds. Go. <laughs> I don't even know if I can. But you just wasted four seconds. <laughs> <laughs> that lineup is stacked. I mean, if there's one lineup that can compare to the Dodgers, I think that it's that one. Not to mention, I think they actually have a decently robust uh, rotation. If there's anyone who can take it on besides the Nationals, it's the Rockies. The Diamondbacks certainly don't uh, match up very well. They have Greinke and Robbie Ray, and then I don't really know who else. The Rockies has some fun young guys in there. They could... If things bounce their way in a one-game playoff against the Diamondbacks, they could potentially knock out the Dodgers in the division series. Again, hot take, probably not going to happen, but... That's the whole point. We don't actually believe this shit. It's just, it's whoever's hottest. And to be fair, the Dodgers are still the hottest, so they're probably going to win the World Series, but... The Dodgers are going to win 100 games before, like, September 15th. (laughs) Uh, Yep. Uh, All right, here's my first take. This, this take is sponsored by the sitcom that we're launching called Keeping Up With Tim. Uh, <laughs> Tebow oh is getting called up out of necessity. Yeah. <laughs> so I was looking at the Mets 40-man roster and just their depth charts today. Wilmer Becerra is the only outfielder who's on their 40-man who has not been called up so far and is not on the DL. And he's actually a legit prospect. He's in St. Lucie right now with Tebow. So like they're not going to call up him and mess up his development, right? Like they're not that's not going to be a joke thing that they call him up and then just like send him back down. So like honestly, with the way this season has gone, God is working in not even so mysterious ways anymore because Michael Conforto dislocated his shoulder on a normal swing, no. which we haven't even talked about on this podcast yet. Like yeah. I'm laughing right now, but inside I'm crying and probably outside pretty soon if we keep talking about Conforto, I'm going to cry. But yeah, the only solace I can possibly get is if the Mets call up Tim Tebow. Let's do it. We're going to every game with Tebow signs. We're getting Tebow jerseys. We're getting Tebow hats. We're wearing a Tebow Jets jersey underneath a Tebow Mets jersey over top of a Tebow Florida jersey. Let's do it. Yeah. Honestly, I'm here for it. The only thing is, I don't know what their roster looks like. They'd probably have to clear a guy off the 40-man. I don't know who that would be. Uh, It's TJ Rivera. Bye. You're getting the boot. Sorry, it's Tebow time. Stebo time. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I'm here for it. And we've talked about this. If he gets called up, we're going to every game. Hey, Mike, first time, long time. At least this guy's not black, huh? <laughs> God. All right, take two. Uh, take two. Um, this one's more of a long-term one. We're going to go out outside this season a little bit. Uh, Jose Altuve, I think he cracks the top 10 all-time hits list by the end of his career. Wow, I like that. I think he'll get in there. All right. I respect it. What are, uh, I think you sent me some numbers from that. What, what were they that you shared with me the other day? I'm going to uh, just delay here while I am pulling up my Twitter account. If you have some like <laughs> elevator music, maybe uh, play that right now. How about Jeopardy? But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so real quick. And this it's easier to understand this if you're reading it. So we'll put a link in the description to the tweet just so you can visually comprehend this nonsense. But through 952 career games, Jose Altuve has 1,219 hits. Um, He's slashing 317, 362, and 453. Pete Rose, through the same amount of games, 1,161 hits. So like 50 hits fewer. Um, and was slashing 302, 360, 424. And Altuve Altuve is 313 days younger than him. He's good at baseball. He is real good at baseball. And I was talking with my mom about this just the other night, about why he isn't more recognized on a national stage, even among like casual baseball fans. Jose Altuve seems to kind of go unnoticed. I mean, people talk about Trout and they talk about Harper and they talk about Kershaw, but Jose Altuve, you could make a case for him to be the best pure hitter in baseball right now. He doesn't even get respected the most on his own team. No, Correa he, and Springer get way more yeah. like burn in the media than him. Yeah. And maybe it's a market problem. I mean, he's playing for the Astros, which are not exactly on a national stage. Um, and he's playing on a team that is absolutely stacked to the brim with 
rising superstars, but the guy is going to get 200 hits in a season for his fourth straight season and challenge for an MVP this year. So yeah. I don't know. If, I think if there's any player and young player in baseball who's going to um, challenge to crack that like 3,000 list, get up there in the top 10, it's definitely him. All right, my take two. So uh, I've already reneged on what I said last week, and my take two is that John Carlo is going to hit 62, and the Marlins are making the playoffs. <laughs> Ooh, Marlins making the playoffs. <laughs> okay, listen, hear me out. <laughs> this fucks over your first take, <laughs> because <laughs> the Marlins are four and a half games behind the Rockies right now for the second wildcard spot. Yeah. Can you believe that? The Marlins are 500. Yeah, that's wild. And the only team between them, so, you know, four and a half games is, like, not that many, but usually when it's four and a half games this late in the season, there's, like, five teams in between them. Nope. It's only the Brewers. Wow. So ask me if I believe that John Carlos Stanton hitting 62 home runs can propel a team past the Brewers and the Rockies four and a half games up. Yes, I believe that. Give it to me. Give it to me. John Carlo put the team on his effing back. There's no one else on that goddamn team anymore. Everyone's hurt. There's no pitching. Dan Straley is the only pitcher I can name on that staff, and that's bad. (laughs) You know what? They're going to make it happen. And they're going to get destroyed by Zach Ranke in in the wild card game. Oh, they're going to get just diced up. (laughs) But John Carlo's going Yachty Molina twice. oh, Oh, definitely twice. Uh, you know, I, I, I could see them sneaking in there. They have a kind of at the a, expense kind of, of your a, World Series team. At the <laughs> expense of my World Series team, they, they, it's another team right there that kind of has a sneaky good lineup, um, two, three, four. Which I just want to point out: Giancarlo Stanton is the Marlins' two hitter, so at least some team is treating their superstar right. Thank God. Yeah, but anyway, yeah. If any player is going to put the team on his back and carry them to the playoffs, it's most definitely Stanton. All right, um, give me your last take. All right, my last take is not as hot as our previous ones, but it's one that that a boy descending hot takes. A descending, a... yeah, from uh, hot to cold here. Craig Council, Brewers manager, uh, wins NL Manager of the Year uh, okay. over over Dave Roberts. And that's not going to happen, but okay. I don't, you know what? (laughs) Hear me out on this. It's, it's kind of like the Steve Kerr conundrum, right? And I, this is not to discount what these managers have done for their teams, but when you put together a lineup that the Dodgers have be pretty hard to fuck that up. Now that said, Dave Roberts has, is you know one of those guys who's regarded as a pretty good player coach, and he's made some really crafty decisions like with the DL and that sort of thing. Um, but Craig Council for the Brewers, the Brewers are the team coming into the year who had the lowest projected win percentage by Fangraphs, who are currently above 500. They were projected to be a 436 team coming into the year, and they're sitting at 515 right now, like three or four games back of the Cubs, the defending world champion Cubs. I mean, they had the division almost locked up for the first half of the year. So if we're if we're truly going, if we're looking at managers who have actually done something with a team and, you know, incredibly surpassed their expectations, I could see Council slipping in there. All right, two counterpoints. All right. Uh, three three counterpoints actually. Number one, I just personally don't feel like manager of the year in any sport should just be team that exceeded expectations. Like I don't necessarily think that's always on the manager. A and B, I don't think that it's any harder or easier to exceed your expectations with a bad team than it is to meet your expectations with a good team. Uh, counterpoint two. Steve Kerr did win coach of the year just in the first year that the Warriors were good. <laughs> he didn't win it this yeah, year no, because no, they got tired no, of him. No, no, no. I know, I know. Uh, counterpoint C, it's the Brewers. No one cares. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's fair. Well, yeah, I was, you know, was going to make a case for... Shit, who's a Diamondbacks manager? I don't even know. <laughs> <laughs> over. Case over. <laughs> um, yeah, it's probably going to be Dave Roberts, but I do think... <laughs> I think Council gets uh, a few votes of his own. Again, not these awards matter at all i mean no one's sitting here in august on the edge of their seat being like shit if we win a couple more our guy craig over here might uh might get himself a title in manager of the year <laughs> <laughs> like the only uh people who care about this thing are like the managers themselves and their families but you know what yeah more power to them all right um last take Go. are you ready for my last take yeah hit me with it it better be flaming hot I'm ready to douse the flames of other people with this take. Oh, wow. 
Reese Hoskins has hit 11 home runs in 18 games. Patently absurd. He's a real 76, 76 plate appearances, 11 home runs. Here's yeah, my no, take. No player has done that before. He will go another 18 games and 76 plate appearances before he hits one more home run. That's my final take. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Cold streak. Here it comes. You I'm think, done. We've reached coming? the cup has flowed. The cup floweth over with Reese Hoskins bullshit. I'm sick of hearing this weird dude's <laughs> name. I'm sick of reading it on Twitter. I'm sick of obsessed with this family barbecue saying that he's the Don Carlos Stanton is the new Reese Hoskins. I'm done with it. I'm over. It. Done. <laughs> I'm sick of Reese Hoskins. I want the Phillies to go back to being irrelevant. All right. So just you think he's gonna hit that uh, Aaron Judge cold streak and not <laughs> he's get the Aaron Judge cold streak? <laughs> Give it to me, Reese Hoskins. Coldest hitter. He's gonna be the coldest hitter in the NL over the next. 18 games now obviously you're not i know that in the stat you were including today on which he hit a home run so that's starting tomorrow he's going to be the coldest player in baseball yes yeah uh i got no statistical (laughs) evidence to back that up one way or another or refute it or anything (laughs) but (laughs) why not all right uh so yeah well when we come back it is tebow time oh yeah All right, we've reached that time in the podcast. Both of us reach our maximum capacity and our maximum delight level. <laughs> this gets weirder and weirder every week. Your mom literally texted you saying, I'm worried about you guys and Dim Tebow. <laughs> My mom, who we should have had on the podcast. Yep. But yeah, so here we are. It's Tebow time, as you like to call it, Tebow mania. As I already alluded to in my hot take, it's keeping up with Tim. What happened this week? What What's up with our guy? It's been so long since we talked about him. Yeah, it has. I, I can't even really keep track about when we record these episodes, so I just kind of <laughs> estimate where I'm starting usually, my week. They're usually Saturdays. Like, yeah. <laughs> it's only been eight days since we talked about Tim Tebow, and it feels like an eternity. Yeah, seriously. That's what happens when we're like thousands of miles apart. It's like Tebow, Tebow's the one thing that's keeping us connected and grounded. So true. It's like um, in SpongeBob when he has to go work for plankton whatever his shit is named and they're singing that just a greasy spoon song and the only thing that connects them is their their love for the krabby patty you know yeah, yeah we got tebow if you followed along <laughs> in the most weird convoluted <laughs> metaphor i've ever given tim tebow is our krabby patty yeah we're just gonna tweet that out as the te- as the teaser of the episode um all right this week um starting on august 19th and running through august 26th which is seven days our guy went four for 22 no no why did he have those two less at bats i know right so lame he hit 182 this week so That's i mean better he had, than he hit last week yeah that's think, improvement yeah it is improvement he um he had a couple nice games i mean he had two two hit games and on august 24th he uh he went two for four uh with a double he had a run scored um he hasn't gotten an rbi in like almost two weeks so I don't really know what he's doing with his life. Um, but he walked a couple times this week, so that's good, I guess. Showing improvement. I cannot wait to watch him slash like 84, 190, 227 in the MLB for the Mets in left field. I think that's even being a little nice to him. <laughs> I always have just had a soft spot. <laughs> All right, so there's really nothing left to say about Tim Tebow. We're really, you know, we're keeping this candle burning, but it's it's getting tough. Yeah, it it's kind of it's kind of hard to stay optimistic with uh, about him. He was like doing so great through like the first three weeks. He was hitting like two seventy, and now I don't know, man. He made an error this week too. So on the season, he's got a <laughs> on the season he has a nine oh nine fielding percentage in left wow. field. Oh, wow! Oh my god. That's really, really not good. Yeah. It's really bad. I mean, I guess it gets a little better. He's he's seven for seven in chances when he plays center field. So maybe, you know what? The Mets need a center fielder now that Conforto's down. Um, I don't know who no, this don't. I don't know who this no. Lagaris guy is, but Tim Tebow has a one thousand fielding percentage <laughs> in the single A right now in center field. So. Lagares in the short amount of time that he has played this year. 
Do you want to know how many uh, defensive runs above average he's been worth? Tell me. 30.4. Christ. <laughs> He's the amazing. opposite Jose Guillen. The opposite Tim Tebow too. Yeah, Tim Tebow would actually legitimately set a record in uh, defensive runs below average if he was called up right now. He's got to be like be at least negative sixty nine. I hate you. Uh, all right, that's enough. That's enough Tim Tebow banter. I feel like every week we reach this point at the end where like, all right, all right, and then you say one more thing, and I'm like, all right, that's enough. Yeah. And it just gets more and more depressing, too. We just, like, find it was like, oh, he actually did this bad thing also this week. So, uh, yeah, so share the podcast, download it, um, subscribe on iTunes, and please rate and review us. Uh, We'd love to see what you have to say. Uh, what you guys think or you can just add us on twitter that's good enough for us also we would love if you did both um alex do you have anything to plug um nothing to plug just uh send us suggestions if you have any share it with your friends too trying to expand that network you feel um so yeah tell your friends about us get us that rating so that when you search for us the average uh rating comes up i think we have like two or three right now and we probably need at least a few more to break that threshold (laughs) yeah uh definitely um if you're looking for some fun baseball related reading i got a story published about jacob Degrom, which is cool it's my pinned tweet it's about his slider curveball sinker fastball usage um so that was fun and i didn't bore you guys by trying to talk it at you in this podcast so i would appreciate if you read it instead oh you're so cool damn dude Yo, if yeah. you're also looking for some good baseball reading, um, my Twitter is A underscore Baisley. So. <laughs> now you're just reading your Twitter. <laughs> All right. This is Mayhem. We're done. All right. Thanks for listening. Bye, guys. Wait, real quick edit this out how like how hot are we taking these takes like mine were kind of hot but also like kind of lukewarm